What's up, Brian? Hey, John. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. Curiosity. <laughs> we had to do it, right? I know. It, it's actually kind of funny because it, it hasn't um, been on even our initial list, right, of forever skills that, yeah. that we developed when we first started talking about doing this series. But it seems like it comes up in... I mean, a lot of episodes. I know there's a few of them that we've done already. So, I mean, I think, yeah, definitely we had to do this. And I got to tell you, I'm a little embarrassed that we uh, <laughs> didn't have it on the initial list. I mean, talk about a miss on our part. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're embarrassed, I'm mortified because I, 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 I'm honestly, think about it. I always go around waving that like ABC, like always be curious flag. And, and I, right. I feel like a complete fraud right now. So, uh, but, um, but hey, listen, we got here. So, yep. so there's that. And we do have a great guest with us to chat about this with, and that is Scott Young. What's up, Scott? Thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah. It's great to be here. Now, a little bit about Scott before we get the ball rolling here. He's based in Vancouver. He's a best-selling author, computer programmer. He's also a podcast host, which is why you know we were talking to him before we got on here, and his audio sounds just so damn good. Um, you know, Brian, we might have to we might have to get some pointers from this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he got on, I was like, oh, all right. Uh, we sound like a couple of amateurs yeah, in this crowd. But uh, all right, we're, 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 we're going to be all right, John. We'll hold our own. Yeah, we, we'll we might have best. to step up our game, though. But anyway. <laughs> we actually found, Scott, um, when we were doing some research to find a guest to chat with about this, and we stumbled, stumbled upon an article that he wrote for his website, which is scotthyoung.com. It's also a podcast episode of his, and it was called How to Become More Curious. And one of the things that immediately grabbed my attention when I saw this article was the headline of the first section which was the science of curiosity. And it grabbed me because, personally, I don't ever think about curiosity through that science lens. And, yeah, and Scott, I'd love to start by having you maybe talk a bit about that. And even um, you mentioned in the article George Lowenstein's information gap theory. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about uh, academic literature is you can find an academic literature about just about anything, so just about any question that someone wants to ask, there's a quote-unquote science of it. And I think curiosity is very interesting because it's something that we are motivated to uh, seek out. We want to find information. We like murder mystery novels. When someone presents us a puzzle, we, we want to know how it's solved. But at the same time, it's um, something we don't always fully understand. What makes us curious? What makes us bored? What makes us in a situation where we really want to know the answer and we want to learn versus, oh, this is just too difficult. I'm not going to bother. And so I think George Lonestein had a very interesting take with his information gap theory, arguing that it was really the gap between what you know and what you'd like to know that drives this effect. And what makes it very interesting is that both of those points are, are not just given by the environment. There's something that you kind of come up with. So if you are missing just a little bit of information, you're much, much more curious than if there's just sort of an undefined mass of mm. things that you don't know about a topic. And, mm. and so I think it's a very interesting uh, set of theories that has some implications about how you could, you know, focus on how to make yourself more curious. So, so Scott, this theory of Lowenstein's, I mean, which, which, may seem a bit obvious at first glance, seems to actually get interesting when you start digging into the implications. And, and, and I'd love for you to just talk about the ones you mentioned. You know, maybe we could start with, you know, curiosity is susceptible uh, 
to framing effects. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so like I was saying, the, the, the gap theory just sort of suggests that there's a difference between what you would like to know and what you actually know. And the key there is that when you're actually out in the world, there's, I mean, an infinite number of things that you don't know, but you're not really aware of that kind of end cap of like, this is what I'm missing. This is the right. little piece of the puzzle that's not right. there. And so often when we kind of feel confused about a topic, we don't really feel curious because there's not a sense of this is the puzzle piece that's missing. And so um, there's, you know, various little experiments that were done that show this. I, I liked one of them, which was saying that, you know, the person who, if they know you know, 47 out of the 50 states would be much more curious about which ones that person is missing than if they only knew a handful of them, like That's if they weren't able to, to fill it. most of them out. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I drew this little doodle on, on the website where you can imagine like if there is a, a jigsaw puzzle and, you know, five or six of the pieces are missing, which obscures what the picture is of, you really want to know what it is. Whereas if there's only like four or five jigsaw piece puzzles put together and it could be almost anything, you're a lot less curious. And so a major implication of that is just the more that you know, the more curious you are about a particular topic yeah. in general. Yeah, I think that's actually really an interesting and John. I love those examples. Right? Yeah, as right. an example, because it's true, right? I mean, if you've only got a few pieces of information, it's. I think it's easier for you to sort of discard it, right? Push it aside and and not really make you know a, a big focus on it. But there's that level of curiosity. I mean, around you know just that. Hey, the, I've got ninety percent of this. If what's the ten percent that's missing? Yeah, you want to close I mean, the loop. Really sort of, yeah, you do. You want to close that loop and you feel like it's a I think maybe a part of it is too that it feels more attainable at that point to close that loop mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. if you're looking at it from the, the first example Scott that you gave me so another implication you highlighted was insight based problems evoke more curiosity than accumulative ones mm -hmm. can you talk about that one for a minute yeah well I mean that's also part of the idea that if if there's one or two more pieces that will sort of make sense of the whole picture, um, those are ones that you're very curious about. Whereas things where you're just adding more and more facts uh, don't evoke curiosity. And so I think, you know, the best example of this is like murder mystery novels or any kind of thriller that you're, you're reading through. There's always like one or two questions that are unresolved that are very clear. And there's, you know, there's a specific piece of information you would need to make it make sense of the story. Whereas, you know, uh, like a different kind of novel where it's just, you don't expect that it's all going to come together at some point. You're just getting more and more data, more and more details. Don't have that same feeling. And so I think this is something that's very relevant uh, if, if you're thinking about presenting things in, in a conversational uh, fashion is like, how can you make it seem more like an insight-based problem that will make someone curious rather than just, here, I'm just giving you data? Yeah, I mean, because it's that missing link. And, and and it's really understanding. But I, I mean, I think part of this and why curiosity is so important is I think there's, in order to actually figure out what is missing, because not always, like we don't always walk into a problem from a business perspective and know, hey, this is the missing link. Mm. I mean, a big part of that discovery is for teams to sort of collaborate, have conversations together and try to figure out, okay, what, what, what pieces is missing? And of the pieces that's missing, what are the ones that are most important for us to solve in order to be able to move the, the business mm. forward? So, right. so it, it, it's sort of a, you know, a combination of, of, really understanding all of that, but sort of tying that all together. And I mean, you know, we're talking here about 
solving puzzle, right? And, and you've made reference to puzzle a couple of times. But Scott, mm -hmm. when we were sort of prepping and having some of the conversations prior to this, um, there was an article, um, and, and the article uh, was from Albert Bendoris, um, which mm -hmm. you sort of summarized um, the implications uh, from that article. And it was about self efficacy account of motivation. Can, can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, so there's a lot of theories of motivation that basically argue we pursue actions based on what we expect the payoff to be. And uh, Albert Bandura's uh, uh, kind of contribution to that was this argument that, well, a major factor is your sort of beliefs about how successful your actions will be. So if you think, you know, in the curiosity context, if you think that spending, you know, a couple of weeks researching the problem is not going to give you a kind of nice answer that it feels really rewarding or is very useful to you, um, you're unlikely to do it. And so this is often at a very subconscious level. So this isn't like an explicit calculus of like you're, you know, making a kind of list of like pros and cons of whether or not you should engage in some curiosity behavior. <laughs> it's very much right. subconscious. So if as you approach the problem, you see yourself, you know what, this is the kind of problem that in the past I haven't been able to like make heads or tails of, you just disengage from it. And so I think that this idea of self-efficacy is very important. Um, and one of the best ways to get self-efficacy is to have prior experiences in your life where you have been successful. But another important factor is being able to be in an environment where you see other people being successful at solving those kind of problems. So I think there is a real, you know, knock-on effect of being in a culture that values curiosity that values problem solving and has good examples of people being successful at that and that can create a kind of environment of like okay you know I, i'm i've seen other people you know do this before in this field or in this area and that makes me uh want to put in the effort required to sort of learn about it and close that information gap well, and I think the other, the, the, another piece to this is really, you know, there's, and John, we've talked about this before too, is somewhat putting yourself out there um, because there's a vulnerability that you have to express of not understanding or, mm -hmm. or having all of those answers. And I can tell you, I'm just curious your thoughts on this, but, you know, one of our other guests that we had, not specific to this topic, but in general said that there isn't room for curiosity and judgment in the same place. And I found that really interesting because I do think myself that that does sum it up. You, you can't be a judgmental type person and expect people to probe for, you know, to solve for their curiosities. A a any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, uh, there's a recent book that was published uh, called The Scout Mindset by uh, Julie Galef, and she talks about people who are scouts versus soldiers, and scouts are people who, you know, you want to find information to kind of update your mental map of the world, whereas soldiers are using arguments as weapons. They're trying to defend their position hmm. and argue against other people. And I think uh, she makes a convincing case that most of us, most of the time, are soldiers, not scouts, and we would benefit from being a little bit more scout-like. And I think part of the issue is just that, especially if you're in a social environment, a lot of our reasoning faculty seems to be designed to win arguments, to sort of back up what we're doing, not really to kind of think through the mm. logical implications yeah. of ideas. There's a, another great book that I, I love called The Enigma of Reason, where the authors make exactly that point that our faculty of reasoning seems like it's very flawed, like we have all these biases and these kinds of things, because it was largely designed to help us win arguments and reasoning groups. And so I think the idea of curiosity here is that it, it takes 
takes an active effort to um, to appreciate that there's things that you don't know, to appreciate that there's gaps in your knowledge. Um, so much of what we do is we just sort of operate in the world where what we don't know is invisible to us. So there is this great paper called To Ask a Question, One Must Know What Is Not Known. And they were talking about how expert programmers asked lots of questions in a session on computer techniques, but the beginners asked very few. And I think it's just because when you know very little but about computer programming, you don't even know what questions to ask. Right. And, yeah. and you're not curious to know what the answers might be because you don't have a framework to fit them in. And so I think that there is a real uh, active investment of effort both in learning and in, in building expertise to just even get to the point where you can recognize why something is an interesting problem. Um, and so I think that's one of the major things you can try to cultivate if we're talking about forever skills is, a, is an always curious attitude of being more like a scout than a soldier. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, that's I great. And, I, and Scott, I'm, gl I'm glad we went through all that. And, and, it, um, and, and I'm glad you mentioned you know, the series and that we're calling it Forever Skills. And obviously we did this because we just got a little tired of hearing people only talk about all those skills that are going to be obsolete when there are all these tech advances and, and so on. So we kind of flipped it around. And, uh, you know, whenever we talk about this and we talk about a skill, mm -hmm. we think that implies that it's something you can learn or build mm -hmm. or get better at. So we obviously consider curiosity a skill or something that you can build. And your article kind of validated that since it's called How to Become More Curious. Um, and, and we do want to get into that how part and talk a bit about the strategies maybe that you recommend, as you say in your article, to make things more interesting. Can we, can we walk us through some of those? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I don't think it's a skill in the, in the way that, you know, you know, shooting an arrow or, or you know, <laughs> right. uh, writing programming <laughs> code is a skill. But I think that if you understand how curiosity works and some of these psychological effects, then not only do you have some sense of uh, how you can construct your own types of learning efforts or projects to make them more interesting, but you also work better in how you present information to other people. Because we all know that if you can present something in a way that makes it interesting and curiosity invoking people will pay attention people will engage with you if you make it sound really boring they will not and so i think there there's lessons here for both teachers and students of of all sorts um i think that you know one of the major things you can do is to start asking questions and to start uh not assuming you know what the answer is i think that's one of the things that i, I feel is a very difficult instinct to suppress but there is an instinct to suppress that you kind of already know you kind of already know, ah, yeah, I heard something about that, I kind of already know. And the answer is almost always that you know a lot less than you think you do about <laughs> right. virtually everything. And so if you just, you know, the, the idea is not that we're always stumbling in the dark, but just that there is these hidden depths to almost any kind of problem. And I think if you just adopt that as a worldview, that even something that seems kind of obvious and, you know, ah, whatever, it's probably this, there's probably a lot more behind it. Um, I think is a, is a really healthy attitude to have. I mean, even just look at this topic of curiosity. Like, you know, you said the science of curiosity. Well, I didn't really think there's a science of it. Yeah, of course there is. There's, of course, there's hundreds of papers people have written right. about different theories <laughs> yeah, of curiosity. Not that you necessarily need to read all of them, but just, just the fact that there's, you know, 
untold depths in virtually any particular topic. And that includes both academic topics and even lots of practical ones and, and things like this. And so the more you can be open to the idea that there's huge amounts of knowledge that exist in the world that you don't possess, I think that just already starts things off from a different perspective yeah. than if you are kind of like, well, I kind of already know how to do this and you know, I, I already know what I'm doing. But Scott, let me ask you this though. So, sure. so you know, one of your recommendations is ask ask better questions or start asking mm -hmm. questions. And, and so, we talked about though that people who have less knowledge on a specific topic might not be as inclined uh, to ask those questions because they don't have enough to know what questions to ask. Yeah. But then, if you put that into the business environment. Many of our teams around collaborative approaches when we're trying to solve problems, you have a mix of people who may be new to a project and those that have years of experience um, around that topic. So they might have you know, more questions to ask. How do you create that balance to be able to have those that have less mm. knowledge feel comfortable in asking those questions and then not losing the interest of those that already might know many of those answers because they've been involved in it longer um, and keep them engaged? Is there any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of um, sort of social dynamics about, you know, yeah. maintaining your mm -hmm. self-image as appearing confident and all knowledgeable and this kind of thing. One of my favorite mm -hmm. stories is of the, the Nobel Prize winning uh, physicist Richard Feynman. And uh, he talks about in his autobiography about how he, he was the one who would always ask like the quote unquote dumb questions about like, you know, Love which that. way does the cation point and this kind of, <laughs> no, I mean, this is a guy who is um, you know, uh, James Gleck wrote the book Genius to, uh, as his biography, this is arguably one of the smartest people who's ever <laughs> lived. And and yeah. he's he's describing himself in this way that he's like, well, I would be the one who would be like, well, why why is it that way? Or why is it this way? What is this, this for this? And I think what you can see from there is just the incredible confidence he has and how much confidence yeah. it takes to to ask the question, to raise your hand and to admit you don't understand something. He tells another story about uh, going on a lecture in Brazil and teaching physics. And, uh, you know, he was talking about all this stuff and the class was kind of like, you know, why are you talking about this? You should just, you know, move on to the advanced stuff. We already know it. And he, he kind of probed a little deeper and he found out that actually most of them didn't know it, but they didn't want to raise their hand because they didn't want to look stupid. Yep. And so I think, you know, I don't think there's an easy remedy for this, but I think if we can respect both individually and kind of in a social environment, the idea that, it takes an enormous amount of courage and virtue to ask questions and to ask quote unquote stupid questions that you should already know the answer to. I think the fact is, is that most people don't know a lot of stuff that they quote unquote should know and they feel embarrassed mm -hmm. to ask it. But I think if you ask those questions, that's how you find out about it and that's how you overcome that problem. And so I think uh, there's a role for the individual to sort of you know make it a goal for themselves to prioritize their learning over maintaining this sort of ego of, of looking yeah. competent. Yep. And then it's also a goal of the organization to foster an environment where people asking dumb questions is not, you know, just sort of brushed aside by the one person on the team that has it all figured out. I think, um, I think that's really dangerous because there's often an assumption of people who are knowledgeable about a topic that most people have a similar amount of knowledge that's uh, that's not true. This is called the curse of knowledge and it's 
when you know something, you treat it as obvious. When you don't know something, you know you you assume everyone else already knows it. And so I think this is a major issue that uh, organizations deal with: that people yeah. are afraid to come forward and ask those dumb questions, which are really the true questions that we need to be asking. You know what I love about that too? It reminds me. I mean, let's let's take it all the way back to grammar school, <laughs> and when you were the you know there were there were the kids in the room, and I'm 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 you know I was this kid that. I would raise my hand and ask the question that people would giggle at. And you'd find out later that a lot of kids in that class had the exact same question. It's just, you know, it was just, maybe it seemed like a stupid question. And, and, you know, there's the kid that is, you know, that asked the dumb question, but everybody else in that room or a good percentage of of kids in that room need to know the answer to that, but they didn't want to ask it because they didn't want to look stupid. Yeah. John, you just freaked me out there for a second because I was actually, when you said, let's go back for a second, I actually was kind of going back to um, our episode with Katie, the improv coach, and and the the conversation there specifically around know when as a team to be in the spotlight and know when to step back. And I think if people looked at this, those who have the knowledge who looked at this and said, hey, this question might have been one that, um, you know, someone might not know to ask, but as someone even with the knowledge asking that question to, to, to help others on the team advance because that was helpful to them at one point when they were learning hmm. um, really is kind of an interesting yeah. twist on this of, of sort of knowing when to inject yourself for the betterment of the team, but also know, know, know when to step back. So I, I actually think that that's actually an interesting, and, I, and Scott, I love your example, John, yours as well, but Scott, you're, you're, you know, having someone who's been in that role, who has all of this knowledge and wisdom, who's actually asking that question that seems seems to be the obvious one, also sets that stage for others to feel more comfortable and, and puts that vulnerability yeah. out. I, I love those those references for sure. And Scott, are there are there other approaches? So so there's this idea of ask questions and get more comfortable asking questions. Are there other things that people could do to uh, become more curious. Uh, you know, you, you hear a lot of them. I mean, I personally, I always tell people I'm big on cross pollination and talking to people in other industries and areas. And I always tell people, don't worry about what, you know, finding the answer, just go out and talk to people in areas and fields that are different than yours, because you never know when you're going to draw upon that information. I mean, do you have other approaches or strategies that people could, could apply? Well, one thing that I think is really important is that uh, we, we were talking about framing effects. And again, the information gap theory that like curiosity is when there's something you want to know that you don't know sounds almost uh, tautologically true. But I mm. think it's it's not because of the very fact that when you are out and about in life, you don't always have a kind of very specific uh, information deficit. You are just mm. sort of dealing with life. And so I think one yeah. of the major things you can do is to crystallize what is the question you're asking? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And make it really clear because very often we're dealing with sort of vague problems that are just kind of, well, you know, this isn't good. Is this even a thing that I need to worry about? And, um, and, you know, I think one of the things that you can really uh, strive to do is to focus on defining the problem better focus on kind of well, yeah. what is it that I'm actually trying to resolve because that is what I think creates that motivation to to solve it to um, to fill that information gap and 
that is one of the major difficulties is that you can you can suffer from a lack of curiosity because you don't have these sort of clear problems. So there is information you're lacking, but there's no um, there's no start and finish in that kind of framing device to to motivate uh, effort. It's just kind of well, there's stuff that I don't know. Yeah, that's and so really I think cool. that that idea yeah. of just really trying to make crystal um, what it is you're trying to do. You know, we were talking about puzzle solving earlier, and I think that's really relevant because that's what puzzles are. A puzzle is something that has a well-defined kind of, this is what you're trying to solve, this is how you could, you know, maybe possibly approach solving it, and then you go forward with it. And so puzzles can be very difficult, and often we pick ones that are sort of difficult on purpose, but they are, they're very different from just the normal morass of kind of like vaguely defined problems that we feel we, we have in regular life. And so I think that the more we can translate those vague issues into actual puzzles that we can solve, I think that is, is how we motivate um, our curiosity. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. S Scott, I mean, we've been pretty focused um, on your article, and, and unfortunately, we're actually coming up on time here. But before we go, is there anything we didn't ask that we should have? I mean, you've given us a lot of great things to think about as it relates to curiosity, but anything that we missed that you think is really important for the team who's listening? No, well, I think that that's a pretty good uh, starting point. I feel like curiosity is is probably more an attitude than a skill, but it's something oh, that I good. think is worth cultivating. And I think it's something that we can um, view not only at the individual level of like, you know, how do we present information to make people more curious? How do we uh, crystallize the puzzles of our life so that we're curious about solving them? But then also, I think there's a real social and cultural effect of curiosity that if you're in an environment where people are unafraid to ask the dumb questions, you're going to have a curiosity driven environment where, you know, not only will people learn more, but they will feel comfortable doing that. And so it, creating that environment where people can feel safe to sort of drop their ego and, and ask those questions, I think is so, so important. And so I think that there's lots to be curious about these days. And uh, I think that that's a, that's a good place to start. You know, Brian, you know, there's actually, when it comes back to this dumb question, there's a way to formalize that, right? If everybody's uncomfortable with that, you could, you could have a meeting where you say, everybody has to ask one just fucking dumb question. Yeah. <laughs> you could have, it, have that as a part of a meeting where it's just like, ask the, ask the dumbest question you could ask. Yeah. And it gets people comfortable yeah. with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Scott, this was fantastic. Um, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. It was great to be here. All right, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. Um, and it actually has inspired you to become a bit more curious. Thanks for tuning in.